Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the second book of Kings. So we're going to the Old Testament, to the second book of Kings, and chapter 5. Second book of Kings, chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honourable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent my name and my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill, to make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now therefore, please, take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he, he urged him to take it, 
but he refused. So Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your servant, When my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. So this evening we're going to be looking at the cleansing of Naaman, this man with this disease. Now we know from the New Testament scriptures that all scripture, and Paul is writing about the Old Testament scriptures, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the people of God may be thoroughly able to to minister the word of God to those with whom we come in contact. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the divinely inspired word of God. Now, the Old Testament, uh, the uh, Jewish leaders divided up into three. It was the law and the prophets and the writings, the writings being the poetical books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And the law would be the first five books of the Bible. But um, other Bible teachers also divide it into three. And they see history in the first 17 books from Genesis. You have the history from creation right through to uh, the uh, creation of mankind, the uh, coming of various uh, peoples on the face of the earth. Uh, descending through Noah and then God selecting his own people through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So history then goes through uh, past the kings of um, the kings and the chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. And then come the poetical books and after that come 17 uh, uh, prophetical books from Isaiah right through to Malachi. So history and the experiences and uh, that you have in the poetical books. Well, uh, this is one of the books of history, the second book of Kings. Uh, the monarchy has been established in Israel, but after the death of Solomon, there was a revolt and Israel divided into two sections, the northern kingdom with Jeroboam as their leader, as their king, and the southern kingdom of Judah with the son of Solomon, that is Rehoboam, as as their king. So this all happened in the northern kingdom. There were about 20 kings uh, in the northern kingdom and there was not one good one among them, right from Jeroboam. And just before this we have King Ahab in the days of Elijah, followed by his son Ahaziah, who was king for only three years, and, and then followed by another son of Ahab, uh, Jehoram, who was king at this time. Well, uh, let's consider this uh, Syrian general who was healed of his uh, malady that he had, his disease that he had. 
Reading verse 1 of chapter 5 once again. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honourable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valour. All right, so, so what we're doing is we're looking at this man who was an army general. He'd, he was the uh, commander of all of the armies of Syria. And so we would say of him that uh, he was quite some man indeed. You don't get to reach that position through your good looks. He was very, very capable. And we see that uh, he was a great man. He was a great man. He was, um, life for him was successful. Everything he did worked out the way he wanted. Uh, he was uh, one who could see real achievement for everything that he did. And also he was an honourable man in the eyes of his master, the king. Uh, the king of Syria at that time was Ben-Hadad. And so Ben-Hadad knew that he could have absolute confidence in Naaman as his commander, as his offsider there. He was a great and honourable man in the eyes of his master. Uh, he had everything going for him. The world was his oyster. And uh, Ben-Hadad had every confidence that he was not waiting for the opportunity to slip a dagger between his ribs and then take over the kingdom himself. He was loyal to the king. But more than that, he was useful to the Lord. Now, this, is, this could be something a bit strange to us because by him, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, had given victory to Syria. I just wonder why we've got it there that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of his people, descendants of Abraham, were, uh, I, I, you know, that uh, they were able to be um, helped by the Lord also. And the only reason that I can come up with is to go back to the book of Judges where God is using Gentile powers to come against his own people, to discipline them, to bring them back to God once again, because repeatedly they were being disobedient, they were neglecting the commandments of the Lord, they were doing their own thing. Uh, as we read a couple of times in the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in the land of Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And so... Um, so it may be that uh, he was used by God on those occasions when, um, when Israel, the northern people, were departing from uh, the ways of God and God was uh, using the Syrians to come in a disciplinary manner to bring his people back to himself again. But in, in any case, we are told that... Um, he, uh, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. And so not only was he a risen to the top in the military in Syria and a great man and honourable with his king, 
useful to the Lord, but we read also he was a, a mighty man of valour. He was a courageous man. He wasn't one who sat behind a desk while sending his troops out to fight. He himself took the sword in his hand and he was a courageous man in battle. And then, after all of these great things that are said about him, the whole page is blotted. With one stroke of the pen, all of those good things are wiped. But, but he was a leper. And because he was a leper, he was the victim of a loathsome disease which was going to end in his death. It was a terminal disease that he was suffering from. And so then all of these other good things that we read about him count for absolutely nothing. He was all of these good things, but he was a leper. He was a dead man walking because of this terminal disease that he had. And so I, I would say that right throughout the whole world there would not be the lowest of the slaves who was the most cruelly treated who would have exchanged places with Naaman given the opportunity. Everything just went from him because he was a leper. Now we find in the Bible that leprosy is a type of sin. And so we could say that of ourselves, that we were all spiritual lepers. We have all had this spiritual disease of leprosy, which would mean that we are alienated from God and that the end for us is a lost eternity. The Bible is very clear that... Um, that the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, John 3.16, but that then goes on to say in, chapter, in verses 17, 18 and 19, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then John tells us why we are condemned. He that believeth not is condemned, for he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. He that hath the Son hath life. Oh, no, sorry, this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. The Son of God, who is light, God is light, and the Son of God uh, is light. As we've heard this morning, he is light, and which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their sins were evil. The reason people go to hell is because they love their sin. Sin is so attractive to us, but it is a deadly disease. And this is uh, what we learn from this disease of leprosy. Well, let's turn now to... Uh, yeah, before I go on, just, just like to say, um, uh, just recently I saw an interview with one of these um, 
popular preachers in America, you know, the money preachers, uh, the type with huge churches, a lovely, uh, great following indeed. But um, he was being interviewed. Uh, Just excerpts of uh, some of the interview came out with other comments along the way. He was being interviewed and the interviewer said to him, you never preach about sin. And he said, no, that's right. I don't need to. Men know that they're sinners. And uh, there was a, a, a Negro pastor and a clip of his came in and he very forcibly contradicted what this uh, other popular preacher was saying. Uh, the preacher who had said, no, I don't preach about sin, I don't need to. People know they're sinners. And this uh, Negro said, no, they don't. They don't know that they're sinners. They know that the fellow who cuts people up is a sinner, but they themselves, they don't realise that they themselves are sinners. And this is absolutely true in this land as well. We must, while ever there is sin in the world, preach the old-time gospel and tell people that uh, the word of God condemns them, their life condemns them, They have been born with a sinful nature. They have this inward tendency to sin. And just like having a deadly disease like leprosy, there is nothing but doom in store for the one who does not uh, come for the cleansing. All right. Well, um, uh, I'd just like to read a few verses from uh, Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 2, which really does establish uh, this very fact that I'm saying here. Paul here, Paul in the New Testament, is writing to this church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, which is in the news at the present time for the terrible reason of um, uh, natural disaster there, the terrible earthquake. But uh, uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians starts off with... And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, afflicted with the spiritual disease of leprosy. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So mankind has come into this world already with this deadly disease living within. Look down to verse 11, just to see what the plight of man really is. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, Paul is writing to Gentiles here, not to his own Jewish nation, but to Gentiles. You were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is reminding these Christians in Ephesus that this is how they were. They themselves had this deadly disease of sin which was in their bodies. But uh, verse 4 of that chapter is one of the beautiful but 
gods. And God, in the case of these Ephesian Christians, and remember, Ephesus was in the centre of the pagan idolatry of the worship of Artemis, Diana. Remember, great is Diana of the Ephesians, as we read. And so uh, Paul was persecuted by the Ephesian people. But there was this little church of believers there, and Paul is writing to them. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So uh, you see something of the, uh, the plight of man overcome with this disease, this deadly disease of sin, of which leprosy is a picture. Another one of the wonderful but gods is but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, not after we turned over a new leaf and made ourselves more acceptable and presentable. No, while we were yet sinners in rebellion, hostility against God, God commendeth his love that while we were still in that position, Christ died for the ungodly. So then, um, when when people can make that discovery for themselves, when they see that they themselves are that lost person and that Christ has died for them, then they are well on the way to becoming able to be recipients of the wonderful salvation offered to them. Uh, Sir James Simpson, the one who discovered chloroform, which was such a boon to surgery in his day. Of course, medical science now has progressed so much further with anaesthesia, but it was a real life changer at that time. Uh, certainly not as good as the modern anaesthetics, but, um, but still uh, it was a great man and a godly man, a Christian and, so, and James Simpson, Sir James Simpson, was asked, what is your greatest discovery? Probably expecting here when I discovered chloroform to assist in surgery. But instead he said, my greatest discovery is that I am a sinner and Jesus Christ is my saviour. So uh, what a wonderful discovery that is. And when man can discover that, so much like that of uh, John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. In his ageing, he said, my uh, memory is fading, but there are two things that I remember very well. I remember that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. So when we come to that discovery, uh, we are well on the way to blessing in God. Well, I'd like to now talk something about the one that I regard as the real hero in this. And yet only three verses are devoted to that person. Verse 2 of chapter 5. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, 
Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed with him and took all these vast wealth with him as a payment for his cleansing. But uh, what a precious little girl uh, this was. When, when you think that uh, she was captured, uh, we don't know how old she was, we don't even know her name. She is a nameless champion. We know the name of the man with leprosy, that's Naaman. We know the name from other books of the um, historical writings, Kings and Chronicles, the name of the king at that time, uh, that was Jehoram. Uh, seems that he was a brother of Ahaziah, both of them sons of King Ahab of Elijah's day. We know the name of the king of Syria, that was Ben-Hadad. We even know the name of the king of the southern kingdom at that time, that was Jehoshaphat, a good king. But we don't know her name. We know the name of the prophet, his name was Elisha. We know the name of the prophet's servant, Gehazi. But we don't know the name of this little girl. Well, let me tell you this, her name was known in heaven. And, uh, and so we can see some of the wonderful things about her because uh, there she is waiting, she's brought back and uh, she was selected to go into Naaman's household to be a help to Naaman's wife. And what a great little helper she must have been. I say she must have been. She must have been so very, very loving. When our Lord started out on his ministry, uh, he preached a sermon on a hillside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, one of the things he said in Matthew chapter 5 was, You have heard it said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. You've heard, uh, uh, no, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, for you will be children of your Father. When people will obey those instructions, they are displaying something of the character of God. Just before the Lord spoke those words, he spoke about going the second mile. If someone compels you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Double up on what you asked to do. Now, can we not see that in the life of our Lord? Has he not gone the second mile for us? And this little girl who was captive, how easily she could have been resentful and said, um, you know, serves him right for coming down with this terrible disease. And, uh, uh, you know, she could have said anything like that. She could have been bitter, and yet she had a loving concern for him. If only my master were in Israel, because there's a man of God there who can heal him of his leprosy. She also must have been a very obedient girl so that uh, when she went to Naaman's wife and told her those words, she was believed. And the words, of course, uh, got to um, 
Naaman, who then uh, believed them enough to go and voice them to the king. Now, all of those good things we said about uh, Naaman before were so real that when the king heard them, well, here was a man that he would not want to lose. This man was uh, worth ten others in his kingdom, no doubt, and he does not want to lose uh, Naaman, and so he said, I'll write you a letter that you can take to the king of Israel. And uh, we have the contents of the letter here. Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. You know, that's not what the little girl had said to Naaman's wife at all. She said there was a prophet in Israel, not the king. The king was a wicked king. All of the kings in the northern kingdom were wicked kings. They all did evil in the sight of the Lord, including this king, King Jehoram. And so... um, So the letter went to the wrong person. So you can understand how the king, when he read that, as we see in verse 7 and following, it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill, to make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider, see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Well, of course, he didn't know the Lord. He was an evil man. Uh, even though he was king over ten tribes of the Lord's own people, but he was an evil king. And, uh, and, and so evidently she was a truthful girl because when she spoke those words to Naaman's wife, she was believed. They didn't brush it off and say, oh, you're always coming around here with stories. No, she had a reputation for being truthful. And so when she spoke those words, she was believed. One thing that I have impressed on my kids is to always be truthful, always to hold to what is true no matter what the cost. So often uh, it is easy to tell a lie to escape uh, something nasty, but if you hold to what is true, never letting fear be your master, that is far, far better, even though the consequences might uh, be unpleasant, but truth must be maintained on the part of the people and and especially on the Lord's people and very often, sadly, it is not. But once you have a reputation for not being truthful, you know, people will still hold you at arm's length from that time on. So let me exhort you young people, always hold to what is true. Don't be afraid of the consequences but have the reputation of being truthful. All right, so this little girl was truthful. She was believed. And the amazing thing is, she said, there's a man of God in Israel who can heal him from his leprosy. Do you know, she had never heard of anyone being healed of leprosy. She had never seen that happen. There were miracles that were performed by Elijah uh, and by his predecessor, Elijah, but She had never seen a leper healed or heard of one because there never was one. How can I be so sure? Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. The Lord Jesus, in Luke's Gospel here, is commencing his earthly ministry. He went to his hometown of Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. 
and he stood up to read and they handed him the prophecy of Isaiah. He read from chapter 61, the the opening verses of chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach liberty to the captives, giving of sight to the blind. All of the things that were spoken of a coming Messiah, a Christ, Messiah, the Old Testament word, the New Testament equivalent, Christ. And when he closed the book to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, he closed the book, handed it to the attendant, and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's claiming to be the Christ. And when they challenged him on this, he told them these historical events, including in verse 27 of chapter 4 of Luke, There were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elisha and not one of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. Now that's from the lips of the Lord of glory and I I believe it. No lepers were healed and yet this little girl knew that there was a man of God and that God was able to heal. And so I say once again, to to me, she is the real hero of this whole account. All right, so, so we don't know her name, but we can learn wonderful lessons from even those few verses uh, as we consider them. But now let's have a look at the miracle that does take place. So we're not surprised at the king's response, the king of Israel, Jehoram, and uh, <clears throat> and then we see what uh, how Naaman went. Verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. He was suffering from another disease besides leprosy. He was suffering from the disease of pride. Doesn't he know who I am? I'm Naaman, commander of the armies of Syria. And who is he? He's just dressed in baggy old clothes and I thought he would come down and do me wonderful obeisance and, and uh, uh, welcome me and so forth. Instead he sends a servant out to tell me. He was suffering from pride and pride is what brought Satan's downfall in the first place. I will ascend, I'll make my throne higher than, the, than God and he was cast out of heaven. It is pride that uh, brought about the downfall of the human race. Uh, Eve saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eye and, uh, and desired to make one wise. Don't we all wish we could be wise? And so it is with the temptation of this sin of pride that, that um, sin came into the world. And so... Uh, this disease has to be dealt with before his physical disease, this disease of pride. And so 
he's told to go and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. The Jordan River, that flows upside down, all the mud's on the top. Uh, well, it may not have been that dirty, but uh, it was an insult to him. You, you understand? He was insulted by that. And he said, are not the rivers of Damascus, the um, Farpar and Abana, they're, they're cleaner than all the waters of Israel put together. Why can't I wash in them and be clean? And so he was going to go storming off home and he would never have been cleansed. He would never have been there except for that little girl who spoke to Naaman's wife. But uh, he was going to go without being cleansed of his leprosy. But his wise servants, very humbly they must have come to him, my father, you know, if the prophet had told you to do something great, something difficult, something that was, you know, very impressive, would you not have done it? Well, yes, of course I would. That's what I was expecting. I wouldn't have been surprised to get that. But all he's asked you to do is go dip seven times in the Jordan River. And so he got on his chariot and away they went to the riverside. Go on, uh, we'll help you off with your armour. And now that uh, you're loosened off, in you go. Do I really have to? Yes, you do. The prophet said seven times. So in he goes. And up he comes. Once. Six to go. In he goes. And up he comes. Three. I'm just reading into this. I'm making this a bit of a story now. This is not in scripture, but I can imagine. You know, there is far more happening here than what we just have in the text. And so maybe four times... I don't see, it's not even beginning to work. Well, that's only four times, three to go. Okay, by this time I'm sure that there would have been a crowd gathering. What's going on here? Oh, you know, that great general of the Syrian army, he was told to go jump in the river. Well, not quite like that, but he was told to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times and he'd be healed of leprosy. Oh, who ever heard of such nonsense? And so then they'd laugh at him and out he'd come for the sixth time and they were howling with laughter, no doubt. And this is not working. There's not a skerrick. And so... Come on, you've got to go down one more time. You can't go home now. You've done six. Go to the seventh. So once more, in he goes. And the people are roaring with laughter. At least I'm imagining that that is so. And then he comes out. And nobody is laughing. No one is laughing now. Here he is, he's come, he's healed. And that is just how salvation works. It is instantaneous. The moment a person puts his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a wonderful miracle takes place that a person passes from death to life. And this is what brings such joy to our hearts and singing to, to our lips such as we've been singing tonight, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And we know that it is well with my soul. We sang, we've sung a couple of hymns tonight which draw us close to that time when we will see our Saviour face to face. And so this cleansing of Naaman the leper, it, we, can, we can learn a lot from it in our own experience. 
May the Lord grant that all of us here leave this world knowing the joy of sins forgiven, this cleansing from the blight, the loathsome disease of sin and know the wonders of a life committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I did read a few more verses further on there, uh, even before we get to that hazy guy, Gehazi, uh, but where he asked, um, when Elisha refused the reward, he said, well, could I take two mule loads of earth uh, back to my land? Uh, He said, now I know there is no God in all the world except Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and my master is relying on me to lead him into the temple of our God whom we worship. I'm not going to worship him anymore but I must, in obedience to my king, go there. But when I bow, could the Lord please forgive me? And Elisha said, go in peace. He said, but I'd like to take this soil back so that I can use this to worship God. I'd like to set you a, a, a little bit of an exercise. Was he right to do that? And I'd like to you know, ask a few of you next week, so read that passage again, and if you could tell me if you think that that was right for him to have that desire to take some Israeli soil back to Syria so that he can uh, worship the Lord there, or or was it not? Because um, I I just don't know. Uh, Let me say now, I'm not looking for a right or a wrong answer to, to tell you, no, you're right or you're wrong, but rather I'd like to know what what you think about what he did. It's here recorded and, uh, and I'd be interested to hear other people's comments of that. Just to read those verses. Um, verse 11, so Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord, to, to Jehovah. Lord, there is all capital letters. It's Jehovah, Yahweh. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon, that's the name of his God, or the Syrian God, or one of the Syrian gods, when my master goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, May the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then Elisha said to Naaman, go in peace. So he departed from him. Um, Yeah, I'd just be interested to hear other people's comments in this regard. But um, thus endeth tonight's message. And so let us then close in a word of prayer. Our loving Father, once again, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before the throne of grace. We thank you for these uh, accounts, these historical accounts from old, but with so much teaching for us today. We thank you, Father, most of all for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that there is power in the precious shed blood of our Lord Jesus power to cleanse from sin, 
power to give us victory along the Christian pathway. And so as we part, as we go to our separate homes tonight, we pray that we go with your blessing. Uh, Bless each one who is gathered here tonight, the homes that are represented, and in all things, may we continually walk worthy of our calling so so that we can be like Naaman and seek to worship no other god but the Lord only. These things we ask, returning our thanks in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.